Welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast, boys and girls. My name is Philip O'Connor and I still haven't learned my lesson. It's late in the Sunday evening now as I'm throwing a few bits and pieces together and trying to remember all the great things that are going on in the community that I have to tell you about. I probably should have done it late last week, but look, at I was just too busy. Uh, in part, that's because I have work to do. You know, believe it or not, I actually have to do a few bits and pieces to put a bit of bread on the table. But it's also because there's so many things going on in the Irish community and it's been a, a very busy few weeks and it's going to be a busy few weeks between now and Christmas. The Gaelic football season is coming towards its climax. I know the, the girls of the Stockholm Gales are heading down to The Hague next weekend for their final tournament of the year and when they've done that then I'm going to get them uh, one of the guys on the football team and who has played camogie as well and Michelle Cotter who has been behind the camogie team I'm going to have a chat with them uh, not for next week's podcast but I think the week after next I'm going to have a chat with them because there's an awful lot has happened uh, with the women's teams in the Stockholm Gales and it's one of those things that I'm really really keen to push because we've had it sort of on and off we've had women's teams in Helsinki before and we've had them in Gothenburg and we've had them in Malmö and sometimes people just need a little bit of encouragement and when you hear some of the good things that they don't hear you'll either think Jesus that's great or uh, you know we, we'll have to do better in our own club the bit of rivalry might crop up again I hope you're all well Jesus the old autumn came flying this week lads I think it was Wednesday or Thursday in Stockholm anyway it was about 17 degrees and then the following day was about 6 and it was right that's the end of that lads get the winter jackets out now the winter is starting here now soon enough so, uh, as I say, it has been a very busy time. We'll be having the AGMs for the Gaelic football clubs ahead of uh, the Gaelic Games Europe Congress now in the first week of December. So there's loads of bits and pieces going on. Listen, I have a lovely interview for you this week. I have to say, this is one of the favourite ones that I've done because we did it a little bit differently, right? Uh, I went out to Sigtuna to meet he Helen Kavanagh-Bailand and I have an awful habit of calling her Helene. Okay, even though she's from Kildare, and nobody in Kildare would ever imagine calling the woman Helene, right? But I do that because the Bailund at the end brings out the Swedish speaker in me. So it becomes Helene Kavanagh Bailund, but it's Helen Kavanagh Bailund. And I went out there last week because Helen, as you may remember, she was on the podcast before. Uh, she was the deputy CEO out in Sigtuna and uh, involved in like you know basically running the whole municipality out there which is a huge job due to the fact that Orlando Airport is out there and you have the big convention centre out there so it's a huge political job with loads of moving parts and that uh, so she's a fascinating person to talk to but she's finished up with that job now and launched her own consultancy so we actually had a walk around Sigtuna and we had a chat about all the things that she's done and that and we kind of said right well we do the first part talking about the history of Sigtuna and then we just kept walking we were going to go to a coffee shop to do the second part but we just kept walking and we kept chatting away so that is the chat that's coming up but before we do that right a couple of things for you one is that I've heard from the Swedish Irish Society. I was talking to Carmel Melkvist, who's the chair of the Swedish Irish Society this week, and we we're talking about the 75th anniversary next year, which is going to be a big thing, and all the plans that are going on for that, and hopefully I'll be involved there. But she was also telling me that um, she's being sponsored now, the organisation's being sponsored by some of the big Irish contractors, and that their staff who are living here or working here in Sweden automatically become members. And that's a great thing, right? Because hopefully we'll be able to use, you know, sort of population centres like, 
like Yavla and Sandvik and, and Vesteros and you know if they're back up in Luleå or whatever these places can become sort of living places for the Swedish Irish Society as well because they've worked well for the GEA but not really for the Swedish Irish Society and look at not everybody's interested in sport as somebody was telling me there recently you know sometimes you know it's a fairly not harsh criticism but you say oh when I turn on when I turn on the podcast and I hear you talking about sport I just turn off and turn it off again so we have to find that balance between sport and the arts and culture and all those other things that are happening and we're more than happy to do that so if you are in one of those places right and you're listening to this podcast might be for the first time because you got uh, your membership of the Swedish Irish Society uh, no there's nobody coming riding on a white horse to set up these things for you lads right so if you want to have a St. Patrick's Day parade in Yavla let the Swedish Irish Society know there are decades of experience of organising these things they'll tell you how to talk to the police and the permissions you need and what you need to plan and how to get a stage for the entertainment and all that they'll tell you all these things right but you'll have to run the show and to be honest many hands make light work right so the more people that get involved if you can put together a little subcommittee of four or five or six people uh, you'll find that there's a lot of sponsors out there there's a lot of artists and musicians out there there's great talent in the community but you have to sort of do these things by yourselves but as i say you won't be completely on your own there's a lot of expertise out there as peter miller down below in malmo has found and indeed if you are down there in one of the more mature irish groups if you like um, peter's always looking for help down there and they're always looking to do things in gothenburg as well so it's a great time of the year year if you want to get involved in your Swedish Irish community and there's a couple of things that I have to tell you about that are actually happening here in Stockholm right um, one is that the Swedish Irish Society is having a Halloween event it's going to be on November 4th and it starts on Musa Bakatori at uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon and there's going to be a little bit of a sort of a, a ghost story walk kind of thing and then there's going to be an event for children afterwards and then the Swedish Irish Society's Christmas party the annual Christmas party which has been held for donkey's years now that has taken place in Stockholm or at least one of them in any case will be taking place in Stockholm starting on December 9th right so that one is on December 9th if you want to run one in Malmö do let us know and we will bring that information to the people uh, if you're doing one in Yavla wherever you're doing one you do let us know we, as I said we'll just inform everybody about it but get out there uh, book a couple of musicians you might find some in your local area you'll certainly find some here in Stockholm I know Lockie is around and Brian Freel is around Ian Maloney down there in, uh, in Gothenburg he'll happily do it as well so yeah get in touch with any of those those things that are going on now last week we had the the first inclusion of our business shout outs that was where people were sending me uh, whatsapp messages voice notes and that kind of thing and it was great and uh, Carl von Tursch was saying that he got a, a great reaction altogether when he got to shout out his own business there with his little whatsapp voice note I've asked a couple of people this week if they would be interested in throwing voice notes into me and I like I didn't have the, the opportunity to chase them or to remind them about it and it just sort of you know went on the long finger and I haven't got them in yet but I will include them and if you feel at all that you want to get in touch with me right and you want me to include them voice note just fire it on to me I'll put them in there lads because it's more interesting hearing you talk about your business than it is hearing me talk about my business you know so uh, fire them on to me 070-721-7715 is the whatsapp number that's 070-721-7715 and I shall include them in the future so we didn't get any in in time for this week but that's grand we'll throw whatever we get in again next week right one of the people that I wanted to lift up to you on the podcast this week 
is uh, Aaron Kennedy. You would have heard Aaron on uh, a week ago talking about uh, weight loss and fitness and how to get fit and that kind of thing. And I'm actually taking part in one of his 28-day reset programs now where Aaron gives you basically a, a menu, right? Things to eat and when to eat them and what to do and that kind of thing. Now, I'm very, very limited because I have both a back and a shoulder injury, which kind of stops me doing pretty much any sort of exercise at the moment. So there's a lot of exercise in there, but I'm hoping to try a few little bits and pieces tomorrow just to see if uh, the back will hold up. But it's been brilliant so far. My good friend Al Mahan has been on it and he's lost about three or four kilos already and he's actually enjoying himself, you know, so he like he's loving it. You can see him firing uh, WhatsApp pictures around all over the shop and enjoying himself. So I can recommend that. And Aaron also has a breath work workshop, right? So this is how to use your breathing to control things like anxiety and to ensure that you sleep better and to ensure that you get through the day better and you can control your nerves and all sorts of brilliant stuff. So if you check out his Instagram at Aaron underscore Kennedy underscore performance you'll find him there and the workshop I think it costs 500 crowns it's a one-day workshop but um Aaron, as you would have heard on last week's podcast, extremely knowledgeable about uh, health and physique and weight loss and all of these other things. He used to be a professional mixed martial artist and has been doing these things for a long time himself. So definitely worth checking out Aaron's work on that front. And um, Before we go any further, again, thanks to the lads who sponsor the podcast. The Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden gave me a very generous donation last year. And of course, Martin Hessian at Veerstrom's Pub, right? Get your bookings for Veerstrom's in, lads, especially if you want to see Ireland playing the All Backs in uh, the Rugby World Cup quarterfinal next week I know there's a load of bookings have to be made already and you don't want to leave it too long lads because basically Martin's happy to take your bookings and he's happy to take your money but you need to get in early because there's no point just rocking up and thinking you get a spot in front of the telly it's not going to happen so many people are going to be going out and doing that that is Veerstrom's pub in Gamlastown right here in Stockholm which is uh, an absolutely fabulous pub altogether. Let us get to our conversation this week. As I say, went out to Sigtuna to chat with Helen Cavanagh-Bailund about her new business and the things that she was doing in Sigtuna and why she chose to go solo after so many years of working in municipalities and public life and why she's now going on and moving into the consulting world. I honestly hope that you enjoyed this chat as much as I did doing it because I had a great time altogether. So here she is. The record button is pressed. Let's get going. But before we get going, uh, where are we? So we're in the main square in Sigtuna. Yep. And Sigtuna is the oldest town in Sweden, over a thousand years old. And now we're standing on the main square. And what we're looking at actually is the smallest town hall in Sweden. Did you know that? <laughs> that's what it is, yeah. Yeah, we can go and have a look. Yeah, at it. sure. So it's the smallest town hall in Sweden. You can get married in it, which okay. is lovely. So it's very popular for people who want to have civil marriage ceremonies yeah and this used to be the place where you know the local county council would meet and there were also two jail cells in here <laughs> that's very appropriate when you get married all the same isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but would this have been part when you were working now i think were you vice chair of the municipality here so in i was the deputy ceo deputy ceo yeah called, until right? the first of september yeah would this that's have been right. part of your remit so to speak keeping this place up and running yeah and so this sure. is owned by uh, sigtuna museums and that's owned by the municipality yeah, yeah. So in Sigtuna, the town, we have several, there's one main museum and the museum owns several of the older houses here. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. You mentioned that this place has been around since 900. Maybe we go back across the square here and have yeah. a little look around. Um, what is the sort of history of this place? Because I've heard that this was once the sort of the original capital of Sweden and that it was, you know, major centre for uh, for trade and that kind of thing. Yeah. Because we're right on the lake on Mälaren here. Yeah. Well, don't yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you have to think that, so if you think around the year 900, Mälaren and the lake, it looked very different from what it does today. So the water level was higher. Mm. And this was a major, it was a very protected and sheltered port, you could say, for the Vikings on the way up into Sweden. Yeah. So that's why they established a town here, as far as I understand. Now, I'm not a historian, but the town was very sheltered, so they could come in here, establish a settlement, and it was much less exposed than let's say Stockholm. Yeah, it is mm. like it's absolutely beautiful when you're walking along here, these small wooden buildings and that kind of thing. And yeah. um, how do they deal with, were you involved in planning or anything else like that? Has anybody ever said, right, I want to put up this thing, it's going to be aluminium and glass and you'll be able to see it from <laughs> space. You know? Yeah, Has the, tried oh, that? there's an awful lot of that in Sigtuna, yeah. Is I mean, <laughs> because, well, this, I mean, the, I wouldn't say an awful lot of that, but planning is a big issue. So yeah. you can't do a lot around here. No. And that's why it's well preserved. It's not a coincidence. I mean, it's because it's been, it's been a decision. I thought we might go in here. You see here, yeah, yeah. this is a little tourist office. And this used to be an old merchant's house. And it's called Drakegården, so the dragon's house. You see, there's a big dragon oh, hanging Drakegården. over there. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. yeah, and it's also it also used to be a restaurant, actually. It did it, yeah? Yeah, yeah. But now this is the, sort of the local tourist office. Would yeah. you get many tourists coming in here? And this is also owned by the municipality. Yeah. Would it be many yeah. tourists uh, here? Yeah, there are an awful lot of tourists coming to Sigtuna. Yeah. Um, and it's open here. Would these all be people you know working here now from your time? They probably are, but they're all busy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Won't bother them too much. Hey, hey, hey. 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 There is a few people um, knocking around here. And just as well, this is a beautiful garden here. So this is the old merchant's house garden that goes down to the lake. And this is also owned and maintained by the municipality as a small public park yeah these old-fashioned buildings and places like this they cost an absolute fortune to keep going didn't they? <laughs> yeah it it's not cheap uh, I <laughs> the, mean, the this, one, yeah, this one wouldn't be that well insulated i suppose yeah um, and also you know if you see inside the rooms are very small mm. so it's not great for like a modern you know open landscape office for example yeah. because there's very little you can do on the inside mm. you can see in here we've actually turned into there used to be an old reading room, which I think was the old dining room in this um, When it was a restaurant. Building, yeah, exactly. So this is, a, here you can see, this is, the museum has done this room up. And the idea is that it's for people who live in Sigtun to come in, read the paper or whatever, but it's done in the old style. Well. So it's a kind of an example of the compromise, you know, that you, yeah, uh, we have a lot of that in Sigtuna. So you have the old and the new meeting here. Yeah, and we can see today's newspapers are up there on the wall in the rack if anybody wants to come in. And yeah, exactly. Meeting, yeah. yeah, and then just next to it here we have this, uh, you know, self-service computers and so on, where you know the municipality has digitized all most public services. So yeah. here you can come and you know apply for a place at uh, school or preschool or whatever you know in this historic building. So. Yeah, that's it. It's hey a beautiful Marie. spot hey altogether. Hey. And it's great to see you being uh, recognised as you go about the place and that kind of thing. Yeah. You know? Well, I worked here, I worked in the municipality eight and a half years, so yeah. I know most people actually. You would have bumped into most of them. Yeah. Well, exactly. Where would your office have been? Was it here in Sigtuna? No, was so the office is in Marsta. It's in Marsta. So Marsta yeah. is the biggest town in um, Sigtuna. Yeah. 
Yeah. How, that's how many the people would live in Mashta these days? That's where I lived when I first came over, actually. I suppose, let's see, it's about, it's 50,000 in Sigtun in total. Mashta is about 20, between 20 and 25, I suppose. That's a fair size of town. Yeah, all the same, so it's it? a big town, and that's Mashta, and also Valste is part of Mashta. Yeah, I yeah. remember when, when I was uh, living here first, I used to work in a local pizzeria, and there was a big um, Syrian community living in Valsta there yeah. as well. You know, yeah, a lot of yeah. business people. That's still the case. Yeah. So this is an old, is famous uh, coffee shop in Sigtuna called Tant Brun. Yeah. Uh, and you can see, if you look, I always think Sigtuna is a little bit like Bunrati Folk Park. I don't know, have you ever been there? Oh, you've never been there, no, but yeah. I know the idea of it right now. Or, you know, you know Skansen in Sweden. You see the old uh, coffee shop there. The walls are very crooked. Yeah. <laughs> but it's absolutely beautiful inside and, you know, it gives you a sense of what Sigtuna was like once upon a time, I suppose. God, it's gas. I'm just looking at those sort of logs and the planks that this is made out of, and it really is, like, you know, if you had your spirit level out uh, now, yeah, the yeah. farm would be at you straight away, like, you know, but it is. I yeah. suppose that's over time, though. That was probably built a good few hundred years ago, was it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know exactly now how mm. old that building is, but they were all, even the ones that are a little more modern, they're built in the style of the older buildings. Yeah. And this Tant Brun is a fam famous Swedish... Um, storyteller called Elsa Beshkov who wrote for children yeah. and one of her books um, a lot of the illustrations in her books are based on buildings in Sigtuna okay. so this is Tant Brun and she has uh, Farber Blow yeah. and Tant Gredelin I think are the three yeah. characters it's in these books so the we book, have yeah. a restaurant called Farber Blow as well oh okay so yeah, that's where that comes yeah. from yeah and mm. of course they are colors in Swedish am I right in saying that there are very strict rules around the signs that you can have on the shops here because yeah, yeah. There's yeah. Like, I can see them, they're quite small, they're hanging yeah. out over the street. So yeah. would you be going along on a Saturday evening and say, oh, hang on a second now, somebody <laughs> put up a neon sign, I'm going to burn the place down. But it'd be, <laughs> well, it'd be definitely someone in the municipality. Yeah. Definitely. So this is all really regulated. If you look, the, the kind of sign you're allowed to have out on the path, that's regulated. And the size, like you say, and also how it looks. Yeah. And even for, if you see the tourist office, you see... That one's also very small and tasteful. Yeah. So even when it's the municipality's own operations, we still have to get the permissions and all that. Yeah. So there's a lot of legislation around that kind of thing yeah. in order to preserve it. So it's not, you know, you couldn't just come in with a massive burger chain and have a neon sign. And smack that up there, you wouldn't be no, allowed that. You know? No, you wouldn't be allowed, no. For the businesses around here, um, are these, you know, you see some of these big uh, shopping centres, right, and they're forever increasing the rents, and they want to uh, slice your profits and that kind of thing. How do you deal with places like Farber Blow, uh, the restaurant there, and Copper Shitlin has been around for many years, the Copper Kettle. Um, are their rents sort of, you know, reasonable? Do you go, right, well, we have to extract every last crown out of these lads, or is it a little bit easier for them to stay in business? Because it's a huge cost for many people. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, all that property isn't owned by uh, the municipality, so that's private rent, Is it, yeah? uh, rental property, yeah, absolutely. But I think, I don't know, I know that the business life in Sigtun is very active, actually, so they have like a local business association, they do a lot of events and try and support each other and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know much about the I don't know much about the rental issue. Yeah, so so this wouldn't all be owned. It's just sort of regulated no, by the city to No, no, this is all privately owned except uh, the things the museum owns, yeah, so the town yeah. hall and the tourist office, the museum, which is straight ahead here. Yeah. Um, so this otherwise it's here a, and it's the, a private market. So all these yeah. companies are all you know making money, and then obviously I suppose some days you make more money than others we have christmas markets here and there's a big market at the end of august here 
And then uh, we have an awful lot of visitors coming to Sigtuna. And then obviously, you know, on a Tuesday in February, it's going to be quieter. <laughs> Did you know Sigtuna has a very small cinema as well? Does it? I yeah. never realised that. Yeah, no. it's fantastic, yeah. How many seats would be in that now? There wouldn't be too many, would there? <sighs> it's about 70, probably. That's, that's great. It's lovely. And what? they show, um, you know, these operas live from the Met or whatever. Oh, right, and you yeah. can have a glass of wine and a little snack. And it's lovely. So it's... And it's run by um, the friends of Sigtuna uh, yeah. Cinema, so it's like a forening in Swedish, yeah. you know, a civil society organisation. But it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. And they have all the local, uh, I mean, all the newest films and stuff. Yeah, there's a and bunch I mean, of it's a great place for um, a, a lot of local of people go there. there. Yeah. In fact, I was just reading the paper yesterday in Svenska Dagblad. They were talking about these small niche cinemas opening mm. up again in Stockholm. Yeah. Is and we already have one in Sigtuna. So, so you already have mm. one. It's a lovely, super comfortable as well. well that, that's the, I think that's more, it's that sort of experience of going out and going somewhere. Where yeah. It's not just some flea pit somewhere in Rat Mines like, yeah. back in the day in Dublin. Yeah, and you know? the floor is covered in popcorn. <laughs> that kind of thing. It's not like that. It's no, no, beautiful. It's lovely chairs and yeah, yeah. really I, nice. I'm looking here to the left-hand side. There's a tourist shop here, right? There's a German flag, there's a British flag, an EU flag, a Swiss flag. Where do the tourists tend to come from, do you know? Have you sort of looked into where the big market is for people who come to see too? Yeah, the tourists, I don't know, I couldn't say off the top of my head, but it's mostly European tourists. It is, yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, hey. Um, and then a lot at this time of year, if you see there was a big tour group up there, they're, I think, coming, probably coming from a cruise ship. Are they, yeah? Yeah, so... A, Maybe Asians, or it used to be a lot of Russians, but not anymore, I guess. Yeah, after the, um, the invasion. A lot of English speakers, Americans. I mean, I think the tourists, a lot of Germans as well, and Dutch. Yeah, mm. That's, uh, it's interesting to see. And then the other thing that, you know, you can never talk about tourism in a place like this without talking about money. Um, are they the kind of people who spend a lot of money when they come to this town? Does everybody buy a souvenir kind of thing and spend a night in a hotel or that kind of thing? Or is that something that you looked at in your time working with the municipality? Yeah, again, I, know, I don't know exactly the figures of the tourist spend, but I know that after the big cities, mm. Sigtuna uh, has the most hotel nights in Sweden, actually. So it's fourth after Stockholm, Gothenburg, uh, Malmö. Well. Uh, or even third at one time. So, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of hotels and conference centers and yeah. that around Sigtuna. Uh, and then, but then some of them are just coming from the day for the day or whatever. But maybe mm. they'd go and have lunch and buy a souvenir, buy a book or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. Mm. because you'd be including Orlando in that as well. So yeah, exactly. Sort of yeah. yeah, so that would boast. So this is the this is Sigtuna Museum here, which is also it's a beautiful old style. Um, Swedish. I don't know how you describe that in English, where there are a lot of low wooden buildings around a kind of courtyard, basically. Yeah, and then yeah. there's one part of the museum that's new then, uh, that's been added on to complement Yeah, there is. That. Somebody was allowed to build with a bit of metal over there at the <laughs> entrance, when it looks like yeah. there. And actually what's interesting in there for an Irish person is if you go in there, you can see that there are coins there from Dublin, are which they? showed that in the, well, between 900 and 1,000, people in Sigtun were trading with Ireland um, and there's also um, a uh, there's some other piece of jewellery there from Dublin yeah. and probably loads more in the collection which is nice you know as an Irish person here you can see that that connection has been 
I always had that thing about the, the Battle of Clontarf, and then you know you come here. So this place was founded in nine, uh, the year nine seventy, yeah. and Dublin was founded in nine eighty eight, is when the historians said that the, mm -hmm. the Viking settlement was founded. And then that these coins and these artifacts that connect the two, you know, yeah. do, do you get many Irish visitors here at all, or would they be noticeable in any way? No. You get a few. I mean, apart from uh, well, family and friends coming to visit me and a few other Irish people that live in Sigtuna. Uh, I know last year I was down at the harbour with a friend of mine from Wales and we heard two Irish accents and then you say, oh, you're from Ireland because it's so unusual. Yeah. And these two guys had sailed a boat all the way from Wicklow to Sigtuna, oh my which God. was <laughs> really amazing. Okay. Um, we have to get hold of those lads. Do you have them on Facebook or not? Because I no, need to talk to I those chaps. No, I don't, no. There's a big truck now from Soda and the Holland is about to pull up by us now. We're walking by the, the Stats Hotel here. Is there much to do in terms of, you know, if you're going to have tourists coming here, and it is, as you said, a sort of a, a place of culture. There's, um, you have the cinema here, there's music here, uh, they're showing those closed circuit operas and that. Is there, what's the food like and the restaurants and that kind of thing around here in your estimation? I think it's great. I mean, it's one of the things that attracted my husband and myself to come and live in Sigtuna because it's a small town, but there's lots to do, you know. Yeah. So there's loads of places to eat lunch. We also, a lot of restaurants. So that's with Stats Hotel there, the... Uh, the old kind of classic hotel, I guess you could say. There's kind we of also one in every small Swedish exactly, town. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> then we also have out here at the harbour, there's a, a house boat that's all called Båthuset in Swedish, and they have fantastic food. It's kind of local ingredients um, and really, really high class, absolutely lovely. Mm. We have a great um, Italian restaurant, Farber Blow, as I said. There's, yeah, I, I don't know how many restaurants there are in uh, Sigtuna, but there must be at least 10 or 12, I guess. Yeah. And then, of course, the summer is a busier time then, so most of them have, uh, you know, the terraces outdoor and that kind of seating yeah. and that kind of thing, yeah. and, uh, nice views and stuff like that. So I was struck when I was driving in that, you know, this, you drive through so many of these towns in Sweden, if you're off the motorways at all, you'll drive through places like this, and a lot of them are on their knees yeah. because... Uh, in Norway now recently, I remember seeing that uh, you know there's, there's so little business, there's so little commerce going on. Mm. Would would you have ever been worried that the same sort of slow death of a society could happen here? Because Sigtuna seems to have more going for it than many of these places, yeah. and yet they're just as beautiful and just as picturesque, you know. Well, I don't know. I'd have to argue with you there that they're just as beautiful and picturesque well, as okay, Sigtuna, because that. I don't think there is anywhere in Sweden. <laughs> All right, I'll give That's you that. as beautiful or picturesque. So, I mean, we have the history in Sigtuna, mm. uh, and it's very well preserved, which makes it very attractive. But also, I mean, Sigtuna is, has one foot in history, but also is very modern. So we have the airport is part of the municipality, yeah. and that creates loads of um, employment opportunities. A lot of people chose choose to live in Sigtuna because it's near to the airport. You know, a lot of pilots, people who work in different things at the airport. Yeah. Um, it's also halfway between Stockholm and Uppsala, and the Stockholm Uppsala area is one of the fastest growing urban areas in the whole of Europe. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I know there's one girl there who's um, 
playing Gaelic football. It's, it's so unusual to see a car or a van or anything here. We have to notice it when they pass by. But she's working out in Uppsala and she sort of goes into Stockholm for, for social things and that kind of yeah. thing. But do you reckon there's people who sort of base themselves here and they have sort of the best of both worlds? Because you have the Pendletorg and you have the airport yeah. and you have all that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So we're about it's about equidistant between Stockholm and Uppsala. So mm. if you think about in Sigtuna municipality, the office there is right at the Pendletorg train station. Yeah. So probably 50-50 people coming from both directions to work and Sigtuna is a little bit the same. You know? yeah. Yeah. Would there be a lot of people who come here to work, you know, people who live in Roussas Bay or Uplands Vespi or places like that, or in the city centre for that matter, you know, and who come to work in, in uh, political office maybe the way you did or, or at the airport, or, or do they mostly decide, you know what, Jesus, this is lovely out here, I'll just get myself <laughs> a little apartment out here. Yeah, well actually Sigtuna is unique, so a lot of the municipalities around Stockholm, actually people commute out of them yeah. into Stockholm but Sigtuna has more people commuting into it in fact well. so the people living in other uh, places commuting into Sigtuna and that's I suppose a lot of that is connected with the airport and the whole uh, business structure around the airport there's yeah, an yeah. airport city out there as well yeah. um, and I don't know people who live here I guess they're both commuting to Stockholm Uppsala and I think a lot of people commute via Orlando as well so people who have you know international jobs or whatever they're yeah. near the airport and they're maybe here a couple of days a week and they're off somewhere else in the world a couple of days of the week as well mm. so this is the restaurant I was telling you about now we're down at the harbour yeah and this is the boathouse uh, restaurant which is absolutely beautiful which actually is floating so if you're sitting there eating you know and it's a bit uh, <laughs> it's a bit windy you can actually feel it underneath you in kind of a nice way not too much you want to be Just careful with the bit. soup there wouldn't you so you <laughs> that you know you're actually on a boathouse you know it's beautiful and i'd love it. to see what that was like before it became a restaurant you know i'm, I'm guess someone i'm not sure if someone lived in it originally when it was wherever yeah. it was before it was in sigtuna a floating boathouse. It's, it's an amazing looking building mm. altogether. And I can only imagine now, we're here at the beginning of October. I can imagine that during the summer here, this place would be packed with boats and people and life. Yeah, and, and here on the left, this is another lovely place, Wofflon, um, yeah. which is usually packed actually. Yeah. Yeah, especially on a nice sunny day. That's the thing. I, like, I don't even remember. I don't know. I mean, as I say, I used to live out this direction more than 20 years ago. I don't even know if I ever walked down this far and knew that this uh -huh. was here. The, these boats that are here, these are mostly pleasure boats. You don't have any sort of ferries that go anywhere interesting apart that from Wicklow. Oh, we do, actually. Yeah in, yeah. The, yeah, in the summer, so there's a ferry that comes out from Stockholm, you know. Is it, yeah? yeah, next to the town hall there in Stockholm. Yeah. There's a ferry that comes up to Sigtun and then it goes up to Uppsala. Okay. And there are a couple of those ferries that run in the summer, but yeah. not, not anymore now, not in the autumn. Yeah. Um, and these, yeah, this is just, these are just private boats. Um, this yeah. is just run by Sigtuna Boat Club, actually. Are so you? I live along the lake there a little bit. Oh, okay. Seven or eight hundred so speaking of which, what's housing like around here? Because the first place, the first apartment we ever had in Sweden was with Siegtuna Hem. I don't even know if that company exists anymore. It does, yeah, absolutely. Does it? It's thriving, yeah. Uh, great to hear. Yeah. Uh, are you, or, or is the, was the municipality building a lot in your time? Is there a huge demand for housing out here? Because you know yourself, in Stockholm, geez, you couldn't get an apartment for love or money, you know, unless you, you were put sort of, you know, as soon as you were conceived, you were put in the housing list kind yeah. of Yeah, I mean, I guess... There's a bit less pressure out here because Sigtuna is that bit further out yeah. of Stockholm. Um, and Sigtuna Hem is building and you know has some lovely apartments all over Sigtuna municipality. But then I would say there's a quite good, you know, private um, 
what do you call that? I always get confused with those words. Not oh, the Bostadsrette. Uh, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. So, that's so where, where you, you buy your own apartment. Exactly, there's yeah. a good market for that, I think, definitely. Yeah. And a lot of new apartments built in Sigtuna. There's a new area, you probably saw it when you drove past, called uh, Sigtuna Stadsenger, where there's been lovely new apartments built, actually. Yeah. And then the house prices here, are yeah. high, they'd be high enough. Would you know? they, yeah? Yeah, they would be, yeah. So maybe, I mean, for one of these nice houses here next to the lake, you'd be talking 10, 12 million, I suppose, There you go. That's a... No, but, uh, you know, again, it's one of those things that if you look in... I was looking around the coast of Ireland there recently, and just just this is a patch of land to build on, it cost you an absolute fortune as well, you know? So it doesn't... When you think of the view that we're looking at here out over the lake, it's absolutely beautiful. And even in the winter here, when the lake freezes over, it's like it looks like a Christmas card kind of thing. Yeah, and it's lovely. You should come out. Are you only going to skate? Can you ice skate? I am absolutely useless at ice skating. <laughs> From Dublin 9, we didn't have much ice. <laughs> Is that famous? Have you seen that famous well, video? Wasn't there of the an ice slipping? rink in Crumlin? Uh, there was one in Crumlin. And then the, yeah. the, silver, was the silver skate was in uh, somewhere in the North Circular Road there, I think. Yeah. But I never darkened that place. Right? But I mean, I'm from Kildare, you know, so I mean, uh, and I can skate, so you've no excuse. Well, really, look, like. I, I'm assuming that you, Kildare people are immensely talented, as we already know. Like, but did you learn when you come over here? Did you get into cross country skiing or like that? When you're yeah, here? yeah, I do all that. I love all those winter sports so I do the ice skating here it's great you know they have a little little tractor goes out there and makes a loop yeah um, and I do downhill skiing and cross-country skiing actually there you go yeah it's fantastic I, it's great fun I, think the funniest I mean thing. I'm not I'm no good at it you know you're never going to be any good if you only start when you're an adult but <laughs> I find it great fun I was I was at an event years ago uh, just before the Olympics in Pyeongchang and we were brought, all these journalists were brought away to speak to, you know, these ice hockey players and cross-country skiers and gather content before the Olympics. And there was a Finnish journalist on the bus with us one morning. It was in Austria. And he was talking about ice hockey. We were going to play ice hockey, like, you know. And I was giving it loads. I was going, I'm going to knock the shite out of you now when I get in the ice. You know, and your man was actually worried. He thought, this fellow's coming for me. And sure, I was like, Bambi, I couldn't skate at all. Going, what were you talking about? So I was only winding you up, you know. But it is, it's like, it's, if you're going to live out in a place like this, you know, I'm just looking now at the other side of the lake, there's some beautiful houses over there that yeah. probably set you back a few quid kind of thing you know yeah definitely those would be up some of those now be in the 15 20 million kroner bracket yeah Do but before we get off the winter sport I, the, I had a couple of friends out from Galway last winter yeah and they're into this winter swimming you know oh so they were and they were really <laughs> brave and this is something even I don't do but they went down a hole in the ice in their swimming tugs oh, Lord. so they had little woolly caps on climbed down the ladder into a hole in the ice and it kind of just breathed serenely there for maybe a minute or two God and then it got out <laughs> <laughs> and, and you rang for an ambulance as soon as they got out <laughs> and i was just standing there you know dressed <laughs> with wearing all layers. your clothes <laughs> uh, yeah so that was very impressive but i think galway people are hardy Ooh, they must it. be more hardy than kildare yeah people the, the, those people over the east you know wouldn't be that hardy at all you know <laughs> you're still doing a great job of selling seed to that but you've kind of left that behind you now you i have yeah what, 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 if you don't mind me asking what was the reason for that because if you don't mind me saying so you were very good at it you're <laughs> extremely capable and appreciated here from the business people that i know from my time uh, living here they, they all loved you you just decided it was time for a change or what happened yeah well I'd worked there eight and a half years so I just needed a 
you know, need a new challenge, I suppose. Yeah. But I still live here, you know, so Sigtun is always going to be important for me. Yeah. Um, and I guess I can promote Sigtun in other ways now, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you just sort of, yeah, I suppose by talking to me, you're promoting it as well. Yeah, now, exactly. You know? yeah. What, yeah. What have you decided to do instead? Because in one way, you're choosing the road less travelled. But in another way, an awful lot of Irish people have several businesses here in Sweden. So I noticed that the reason that we're here is because you popped up on LinkedIn because you've started your own business basically yeah how is that going for you so far what are you going to be doing it's going great so far four weeks into it um, I've set up a consulting company and I'm working with leadership for sustainable development so that's really what I was working with at Sigtuna municipality as well yeah. but now I'm keen to broaden that out and see how I can help all kinds of organizations with their uh, leadership for sustainable development mm. so I mean, I'm getting great feedback so far, yep. um, and I'm testing the ideas uh, on the market and seeing who else is out there and what they're doing and so on. Mm. Uh, but it's very much during the, you know, it's just in the, I mean, the first phase of it. It's just me so far, but I'm keen to expand it and recruit and um, do a lot more with it, you know, because yeah. I think that that whole, the whole mm. area of sustainable development, it's key. And I think that it requires, you know, really good leadership to be able to mm. deliver on it. Um, it's, it's a very specific thing, leadership mm. for sustainable development, right? Yeah. And it's one of those things that in a time, if I can play devil's advocate for a yeah. second here, in a time when things are tough, interest yeah. rates are going up, uh, the stock exchange is not doing as well as some people might like for their pensions and what have you. This is a very nice to have thing. How essential is it for people to have what you're offering? Because it's not something that we can kick down the road much longer, is it? No, it's not. And in fact, I was in with with KPMG yesterday and uh, learning about all of this sustainability reporting requirements and so on mm. and SMEs are going to have to have sustainability reporting from 2026 okay. and the definition of that is any company that has more than 10 employees Whoa. so this is really coming you know yeah uh, I mean even if you apart from you know the climate change and the problems with social sustainability in Sweden and the problems with crime and segregation and all the rest. That's There's all actual it, yeah. demands um, that companies and organizations mm. need to do that sustainability reporting. Mm. So, And how will they go about doing that? Because let's say you're running, you know, this is the time of year when everybody changes their tires, right? So you might have a workshop there where everybody stores their winter tires and everybody's coming along. You, you weren't brought up with this kind of thing. Like, how do you go about uh, putting the structures in place so you can do this kind of reporting. Well, that's why it's about the leadership, you see. Mm. So you need to have managers and leaders in organizations that understand that this is important, yeah. that this is as important as the economic reporting. Yeah. So this sustainability reporting is going to be part of the annual report. I mean, it still is for, it is now already for a lot of companies, but this is new EU um, legislation and EU directive on it. Mm. So it has to be an integrated part of the annual reporting. Mm. And that requires good leadership to get that in place, to make sure that you have the right people in place who can deliver that, but also that you're actually doing the sustainability work. Mm. Because this type of reporting, it's not just about, you know, writing a nice brochure yeah. and saying, you know, we are going to make the world a better place. Actually, it's extremely specific on you know, how does your company work with water management? How does it impact biodiversity? Do you have an impact on local communities? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I, I also want to work a lot with the public sector because that's also what I know. Mm. And I think public sector organizations can make a huge difference in terms of 
um, sustainable development, especially when you think about some of the social sustainability challenges that Sweden has at the moment, you know, with, uh, like I said, segregation and this wave of crime and so on. Mm. That's all about, that's about social sustainability. So Mm. building a more sustainable Sweden is about um, building a safer Sweden as well, you know. They're the public sector. Uh, and public sector organisations have a lot of work to do. When people get in touch with you now, they see that you started this consultancy, what kind of questions are they initially asking you? Are they coming to you like the drowning man kind of calling for for the life belt? Or do they have an idea of what it is that they have to do? And do they know what they have to do to get there, so to speak? I would say it varies a lot. So I would say one organization maybe it's about wanting to develop their management team Mm. in terms of how they can work with sustainability so some of these new requirements demand that for example the board has to be involved in talking about the organization's uh, sustainability impact and how do you set up procedures for that and how do you develop your management team Mm. but also it can be about just developing a strategy for sustainability work or doing change management or you know at the moment, I'm having a great time at the moment, the last four <laughs> weeks. I'm just meeting all kinds of people in all kinds of different organizations and testing, you know, yeah. what the market is and what they need and hearing some super interesting, getting great feedback, actually, on the on the ideas that I have. So I, think, I feel kind of optimistic, but sure, who knows? I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, it is, you know, when you dip your toe in the water first, I mean, obviously, you feel there's a market there because... Yeah. You know that way when somebody can only ask you a question, you know, so many times before you go, hang on a second, there might be a consultancy business in this for me. You know? But then at the same time then, when you go out, have you found that yeah, your, your plans have changed from these conversations? Because sometimes we set up and we say, okay, this is what I'm going to offer. And then the market comes to you and say, well, this is what we actually yeah. want. Yeah. Have you found that you've had to sort of recalibrate what you're going to do now based on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a kind of, I started off with a general idea of what I wanted to work in and then I realized that the big challenge that a lot of organizations have is the sustainability reporting. Yeah. Because that actually has to be done. Um, There's no getting away from that. That's a legal requirement. No, exactly. And also what I realized is when I talk about sustainable development or sustainable societies, I mean on the social side. Mm. I mean the climate, environment, energy and so on. And whereas most people tend to think when you start talking about sustainable development, they think you're just talking about the planet. Yeah. But the but sustainable development has the three elements. So it's people, planet and profit. Mm. Um, so really the economic development of a society is also sustainable development. So I need to think about that a little bit that um, I don't get pigeonholed just as being a working on the environmental side. Yeah. Uh, so it's a more broad approach. Yeah. When, yeah. when you're doing things like that, because when we spoke before, we talked a little bit about the, sort of the social challenges that this country is facing. At the moment, where you know the Prime Minister was out last week talking about putting the army on the streets to deal with crime, which he can't do and probably will never be able to do. But we are at that stage where wild things are being considered, right? When over the eight odd years that you were working here in Sigtuna, it goes up and down, it comes and goes in waves. What works and what doesn't? I'm always of the opinion that if you read the history of Mountjoy Prison, right, they tried absolutely everything there, mm. but at the root of it is, if you don't deal with poverty and people who are left out mm. of society, then you're not going to deal with it. Is mm. it the same here in Sweden, do you think? Or, or is there that you know, short, sharp shock, as Margaret Thatcher once called it in the 1980s? Is there room for that as well? I think it's both, you know. Uh, so what they're doing now with the whole facial recognition, more cameras, all this stuff, all that's required because we're already gone so far down the road that Sweden has a huge problem. 
But of course, underlying that is um, failed integration, I would say, mm. and marginalization. And it's not just about immigrant groups, it's marginalization in general, you know. Yeah. Uh, people are living in parallel societies and not getting an education or not in the workforce and, you know, kids who don't have an incentive to get into the workforce. Yeah. So I think that that's really where the answer lies. And that's difficult. And that's, again, my idea of good leaders. So how does a manager then, let's say in the public sector, mm. look at that kind of issue and think, crikey, you know, what am I going to do about that? And that yeah. requires an awful lot of humility. It requires saying, well, maybe my organization can do something, but I'm going to need all these other people to work with. Mm. And in Sigtuna, what we did a lot was working private, public private sector. Yeah. And that, I think, is a huge and growing area. So how can, let's say, a municipality and the police and the private sector, let's say real estate companies, property management companies, around an area like Marsta Centrum or Valsta Centrum, collaborate to yeah. make that area safer? And that's, for me, sustainability leadership, because it's about all those actors saying, well, we can't really solve this on our own. Yeah. So we, we're going to need to do it together. Mm. And that's a kind of uncomfortable ground, I think, for a lot of organizations because the private sector, yeah, it's not easy collaborating with the municipality because, you know, mm. we're spending taxpayers' money and we have the challenges that go with that and they want us to go really quickly and, you know, mm. <laughs> they're much more light-footed. And then you bring the police in with that and then they have, you know, their own rules and regulations and approaches. So... It's about seeing it that it's a really complex issue, but that together you can have, you know, one plus one makes three or four, you mm. know. That's the whole, that's the solution to it. But well, I know, of course, that's easier said than done, you know. Well, that's it. <laughs> like, there's a lot of things in this world, uh, and a lot of your career sort of reflects that, that there's not really a whole lot of simple solutions to these very complex problems, you know. Mm. Um, in terms of leadership, there's different kinds of leadership that are involved in what you're doing, right? There's political leadership, mm. there's the leadership of the business community, there's the civil organisations. Do you work across the board with all kinds of leadership or is there you know, a specific way? I'm thinking specifically now because if you bring in somebody uh, from Sigtuna here who lives in the centre to start their job day one and you bring in somebody from Valsta from a completely different cultural background, you can't really manage those two people in the same way, right? How, how do we develop leaders to be able to handle that? to have the, the skills and the tools and the humility to handle those situations? Yeah, well, I think it's two different things. Firstly, is to lead for that complexity. Mm. That requires leaders who are who have humility, who don't you know, expect to know that they don't have all the answers, and that also understand that you need to work very much in the long term you know so you're not even thinking about who's living here at the moment you're thinking about you know the future generations mm. so what are we doing now that's going to make it better for them and that's a kind of paradigm shift for leadership especially in the public sector i would say where it's very much you know this new public management so it's about the public sector producing a service we give it to someone and then we measure it mm. But this is, these are much bigger and more complex problems where, in fact, the citizens can help you to solve the problem if you let them in. You yeah. know? But that means that you need to see as a leader, well, I don't have all the issues. Yeah. But then it's about political leadership, it's about courage and vision. Um, and it's also about, I think, le like trust-based leadership. Mm. So you're not 
uh, you know, not, it's not a traditional leadership model where yeah. you're uh, just, you know, giving people work and telling them what to do. But it's about creating teams of people that are empowered to find the solutions themselves. Yeah. You know, that's how you will resolve it. That's, um, that's very you Swedish, the whole sort of consensus idea when people get yeah. together. You know? no, well, not even consensus, but just the whole idea of trust, or it's called tillit in Sweden. Mm. You know, there was a big uh, tillits delegation, so the government set up a delegation of experts to work on this issue of trust because they found that the public sector is actually wasting an awful lot of money measuring what people are doing. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the... Uh, the regions that are responsible for healthcare, you know, there's so many people there working in bureaucracy, mm. measuring what the doctors and nurses are doing, you know, and they're spending too much money on that and not enough money meeting the patients. On the primary care. maybe turn... Um, yeah, we'll take a left up left here. Left up here. Um, when we're talking about leadership and sustainability, that if I was to go back to your colleagues there, maybe in the tourist bureau or maybe down in Master Centre, what kind of a leader do you think that they would say that you were in your time with them? <laughs> it's an awful question, isn't it? Yeah, God. <laughs> I say that over late on in case you're tour <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess you'd get a different answer depending on who you asked, I suppose. It would be the diplomatic answer to that. But I, I would, what I try, I can tell you what I try to be, and mm. I suppose I manage that sometimes and not others. But I try and be both structured, but also work on relationships mm. because those are the two things. So you need, I mean, you're there as a leader to develop a team or an organization so that you reach some kind of a goal. Yeah. And you need a structure. But at the same time, you're working with people. So you have to work a lot with giving people the opportunities to do a great job and giving mm. them the space to do that, to come with their own ideas and back them up and mm. stuff like that. So those, those two things um, mm. I try, I've tried to work with. And, you know, I've done a lot of leadership development courses and, mm. uh, you know, I've examined my own leadership from all possible angles, you know, this... Mm. 360 degrees where you ask all manner of people around you what they think of you as a leader yeah. uh, and worked on refining it from there. So. Is, is that hard to hear when you, when you say that to people? Because, you know, <laughs> they're going to be blunt. They're going to tell you what they think yeah. of you if you ask kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, I suppose in the beginning, yes, I found that hard. And I mean, this is, it's anonymous as well when you do these 360s. So you don't know who said what, but you can <laughs> see that, you know, in general, <laughs> there's a trend there. And then you, but that's the whole point of it. So the point of it is to, again, have a humble approach to it and realize that you have a lot to learn and mm. you need to be, become a better leader. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's always very interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fascinating subject altogether. Yeah, yeah. It's also something that when you mentioned that you know, this reporting, sustainability reporting is going to be companies of 10 people or more, that's going to cover a lot of Irish-owned companies in yeah. Sweden. So if they want to, to work with you on this, if they're panicking listening to this interview now going, Jesus, <laughs> when was that, 2025? How do they get in touch with you and what does the process look like? Because sometimes people will say, oh, Jesus, consultants, it's going to be 10 hours of work and they're going to bill me for 90 and this kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Is it going to be a big thing for them and how can they get in touch with you just to find out more about this whole thing? Well, firstly, the requirements from SMEs, uh, it will be for for the financial year 2026. So okay, they'll have to 26. do the reporting in 27. Okay. So when you do your annual report on 26, you have to have it in there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm open to just chat to people in general about these issues. I think there's still a lot of question marks because it's a couple of years off. Um, I have a website. My company is called Dara Leadership because I'm from Kildare, as Very I mentioned. Good. So that's www.dara.com. 
daraleadership.com. Is that D-A-R-A, is it? That's right, yeah. So you can find me there or people can find me on LinkedIn, Helen Kavanagh Berglund, and just get in touch, you know. And at the moment, I mean, I'm very much, I have the luxury of being in an exploratory phase, you know, so I'm not billing for everything. I'm, you know, happy to just have a chat with people really and see um, what it might lead to. So any Irish company out there or any organisation, very welcome to get in touch and talk more about it. And are you interested in working with companies on a sort of a European level as well? Like, you know, if there's people listening back in Ireland who are thinking, okay, because this is an EU law that's coming in. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, going to work in Sweden and internationally. So absolutely, yeah. And it's the same legislation uh, that's going to apply to all uh, companies active in the EU. Mm. How exciting is this on a scale of one to ten after eight (laughs) years of being almost a civil servant kind of thing? Yeah, no, it's definitely a nine and a half on the excitement scale. Yeah, definitely. But also it's terrifying, you know. But I also think that, you know, some of the best things in life are both exciting and terrifying. You know, it's like when I uh, found out that I was expecting twins. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, one of the best things that can happen to you, but also terrifying. (laughs) So I think that anything that's worth doing in life, you know, it is terrifying. (laughs) And there's a lovely quote uh, from Seamus Heaney that I really like, and it's about um, just, you know, taking a step. It's, uh, he has it on his gravestone, and of course I can't think exactly what it is right now. But it's about, you know, just taking a step against your better judgment, basically. Um, That you know that... Um, you know, things will work out and being optimistic. Yeah. And I mean, I know that this is an important issue. This issue isn't going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so it is one of those things. Anything that's, that's called sustainability is here to stay. Yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. As long as the, the planet and the people are here. Yeah. What about Sigduna? Are you here to stay here? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I can imagine myself getting old here. Yeah. And it's very handy for the airport, you know, so I can go back to Ireland and see family and friends pretty easily. And yeah, I don't see any reason to leave Sigtuna. Right. Let us go and find ourselves a cup of coffee. But for now, Helen, thanks so much for speaking to me. Thanks for coming all the way out to Sigtuna to see me. You never know. I might have to come out and discuss my own sustainability reports. (laughs) You're very welcome. That was the chat with Helen Cavanagh Barrylud, and I really enjoyed that. And uh, afterwards, we went for a cup of coffee and we had a good old chat. And uh, I actually drove down past where we used to live in Mashta there. So instead of taking the motorway out of uh, of Sigtuna, as you would if you're Gary Lavelle living out there and heading for Stockholm, I went on a sort of a parallel road that's called Tingvallavegen and I drove past the apartment that myself and my good lady wife Maria lived in when we moved here in 1999, almost half my lifetime ago, lads. Uh, 24 years ago this year. So um, yeah, no, it was a lovely uh, chat with Helen Kavanagh Bailund and a lovely wander down memory lane. Do look her up on LinkedIn and all those other platforms because she's definitely well worth talking to uh, especially around that area of sustainability reports and what your rights and responsibilities are going to be in the future and it's a fascinating subject it's not just you know around the the things that we always think that these environmental and sustainability things are about you know there's so much more to it and nobody knows more about it than what she does one of the things we also talked about was how I run this whole podcasting crack and I was explaining to her how uh, the best what I'm really looking for is people to support me on Patreon 
Patreon, especially for this podcast and for the Global Gale podcast that is trying to reach the 70 million Irish around the world. And how I really believe that, you know, especially with that Global Gale podcast, I can reach that community. But I could really do with your support there. Patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm. It's a fiver a month. Or you can swish a few bob to one, two, three. 2424166. That's 1232424166. If you have Swish, which is kind of like Revoluter or is it Venmo in America? That's kind of what they use here in Sweden. And I would be very grateful for doing that. You don't have to pay anything, lads. These podcasts will and all are and always will be free, right? Nobody has to pay anything, but it does help me immensely if you can do that because it takes a lot of time and effort and even a few bob and petrol that it takes to drive out uh, to hell and there to talk to her. And, you know, so I do invest a lot of time and effort in these things and it'd be great if. If you could support me there and if you can't that's grand right they're there for everybody as i said when i lived out on ting balaveg and i hadn't uh, i hadn't a penny i was going to say something ruder than that but let's just say that i hadn't a penny myself so i know what it's like to be in a foreign country and not have access to that kind of information that we're hopefully providing for you here but what i would ask you to do then is if you can is uh, get in your social media and share these podcasts and share the other work that I do on social media because maybe if you can't pay for it but you might share it and you might find you know somebody there is willing to support me and that kind of thing and they're willing to sort of sponsor what I do and that's what it's all about that's what's going to make the world go round for me and anyhow that is it for this week as I say don't forget now if there's one thing you take away from this A is that Helen Cavanagh Bailand is brilliant and B book your seats and versions for the rugby lads I get, don't come to me next week now when I'm sitting in me, in me king chair there in Veerstrom's right in front of the big screen now watching Ireland against the All Blacks and you're standing there going oh is there any chance of my movement no no get on to Martin now and book your seats lads right I shall be back again next week with another episode of the Irish in Sweden podcast until then my friends look after yourselves look after one another and I'll talk to you again very very soon indeed good luck good <laughs> luck